Have you ever had the experience where you hear two different perspectives on the same event? Part of the reason I asked Eric and Paula to share their story was not just so you could get to know them, but in their marriage story, you hear two very different uh, perspectives on the same event. It sounds different when Paula talks about it than when Eric talks about it. Well, that's an important uh, element or example that I want you to keep in mind because it's going to help us understand something from our scripture this morning. We're in the book of First Peter and we've just begun a series that's going to take us through uh, the school year, Lord willing. And last week we looked at Peter as he introduced himself. Peter introduced himself as uh, Peter the Rock and we saw that what that means is is that whereas once he was a stumbling block, by God's grace he was transformed into a solid rock. Well, this week, still doing introductions to the book of First Peter, we have the opportunity to be introduced to ourselves. Now, what I mean by that is that we have a chance to see ourselves the way that Peter is viewing his readers, the way that God wants us to see ourselves as we look through this series. And so this morning, if you will, please take a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you use one of the church Bibles, it's page 980. 980, 1 Peter chapter 1. And because we're doing introductions, we're still in the first verse. We made it through six words last week. We're going to finish the first verse this week. And we want to see how we are being addressed through this scripture. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's what we looked at last week. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now here, Peter is telling us who he's writing to. Now, he lists five provinces here. These are five provinces from the ancient world. But we understand that what Peter is writing is not ultimately, he's not ultimately the source. The source of what's being written here is God himself. And God is not writing simply to an audience at Peter's time. He's writing this to us. When I say we are being introduced to ourselves... We are hearing the word of God addressed to us today. And this could easily say to those scattered throughout the provinces of uh, Pontus, Hong Kong, Paris, Grand Rapids, anybody, it doesn't matter where you are historically or geographically. This is God's word to us today. And God is addressing us. And how is it that he speaks to us? Well, there's two very important words that he uses to introduce us to ourselves. The first is the word elect. Elect. It means chosen. You see that if you look at the beginning of verse 2. We are God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. When you elect or are elected, it has something to do with choice. If you're elected to the student council at school, you have been chosen to serve on the student council. If you take electives, those are classes that you get to pick. These are the classes that you're going to take. 
When we are called God's elect, what it means is God chose us for salvation. Peter addresses us first and foremost as God's elect, meaning that God chose us for salvation. Now, right up front, I want to admit that for almost all Christians, when we hear this concept of election or being elected or being chosen, this is a difficult concept to wrap our minds around especially when we begin to think of it in relation to our own free will. Wait a minute. Did God choose us or did we choose God? How does that work? Now, this morning, I'm not going to be able to answer all of the difficult questions that arise when we think about this truth about election or God choosing us. But I do want to walk us through an analogy that's been helpful for me in trying to think about how these things work together, election and free will, God choosing us and us choosing God. And to do so, I want to use the story that Eric and Paula told about their marriage. Again, you perhaps have heard something similar. Maybe your story is just like theirs, where when you tell it, it sounds a little different when the wife tells her side of the story than when the husband tells his side of the story. When Paula was here saying how she met Eric and how she fell in love with Eric, she described a process in which her heart became warmed towards him, where over time people began to encourage her to consider Eric. And as she began to think about him and consider him, she began to develop these feelings for him and moved to the point where she fell in love with him. That's Paula's perspective on how they got married. It's a valid perspective. If you listen to Eric tell his story, it's the same story, but from a different perspective. From Eric's point of view, for four years he had been in love with Paula. For four years he had been praying about her and pursuing her, that he had wanted to be with her, and that he was looking for different opportunities to express his love to her. The same thing is true in our relationship with God. Eric and Paula both have valid perspectives. It's not like Paula's right and Eric's wrong. It's not like Eric is right and Paula is wrong. It's just two different perspectives on how they ended up together. So it is with becoming a Christian. For example, if we had Peter here and asked him about his relationship with Jesus and say to Peter, how did you meet Jesus? Well, what would he say? Well, John 1 actually records the story of how Peter met Jesus. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon, that's Peter, that's the author that we're talking about here, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, 
that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. If you ask Peter, how did you end up meeting Jesus? Well, it sounds a little bit like he got set up on a date. Like his brother goes and meets this man named Jesus and realizes he's the Messiah. He goes home to Peter and he says, I got a guy for you. I got a guy you got to meet. And so Peter says, okay, fine. So he comes with him. He meets Jesus and he ends up becoming a follower of Jesus. That's Peter's perspective on how he met Jesus. A very valid perspective. But what if we had Jesus here and asked him, how did Peter become one of your followers? Well, fortunately, in that same gospel, the gospel of John, Jesus does tell us his perspective on how Peter became one of his followers. It's in John chapter 15, and Jesus is talking to Peter and his other disciples, and this is what he says to them. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Now listen to this. You, speaking to Peter, did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. From Jesus' perspective, the story sounds different, doesn't it? Now who's right, Peter or Jesus? Well, of course, Jesus, right? (laughs) That's always the right answer. Peter's right too, though, isn't he? Yeah, just like in Eric and Paula's story, it's not that Paula's right and Eric's wrong, or Eric's right and Paula's wrong. It's just two different perspectives on the same event. From Peter's point of view... Well, yeah, I realized he was the Messiah. I believe my brother. I started, he was so interesting. What he taught me was so fascinating. And I began to follow him. From Jesus' perspective, he says, Peter, I chose you. I picked you to come and follow me. The same is probably true of your testimony, if you're a believer. If I asked you, how did you become a Christian? Perhaps you might say something like, Well, I had this friend who was, he was crazy about Jesus and he kept telling me about Jesus and he was always talking about Jesus. And finally, uh, he kept inviting me to Bible study. And so I was like, okay, fine. Just to get the guy off my back, I went to Bible study with him and then I started going to church and I started listening to what, what this Jesus person was saying. And I got more and more interested. And then suddenly it's like scales fell from my eyes. And I just, I realized that Jesus is Lord and, and I accepted him as my Lord. And that may be your testimony. That's a very valid testimony. But what if we asked God how you became a Christian? What would he say? Well, he would say, I loved you from before you were born. I chose you. I pursued you. I chose to reveal myself to you. His is a valid perspective also. And the point is, just like in most marriage stories, there's two perspectives on the same event. One does not nullify the other. 
One does not make the other false and one true. They're just two different ways of looking at the same thing. This is how it works with election and free will. That if you look and ask the question, how did I become a Christian? You can either tell the story from our perspective, which is, I became interested in Jesus and I began to follow Jesus and I learned about Jesus and I accepted Jesus in my heart. Or you can tell the story from God's perspective, which is, I chose you. I elected you. I loved you. I pursued you. I revealed myself to you. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter is emphasizing God's perspective on how we got into a relationship with him. That's why he calls us God's elect. Peter's not ignoring the fact that we do choose to believe. But he's not telling the story from our perspective. He's telling it from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, he's saying, God chose you. Now, why is Peter telling it from God's perspective? Well, back to our marriage analogy. I've got to think that in Paula's case, there's got to be something wonderful about listening to your husband stand up here and say, for four years, I pursued her. It's got to make her feel wanted. It's got to make her feel loved. It's got to make her feel valuable. Same thing when Peter says we are God's elect. What he's trying to communicate to us is God loved us. God chose us. God pursued us. God won us to himself. It's not, it's not that we somehow forced God to let us in. That we somehow made ourselves Christians, that we checked all the box, that we earned it, that we did all this stuff. Peter's trying to say, no, before you even realize how wonderful God was, he was pursuing you. And there's something incredibly encouraging. There's something incredibly wonderful. There's something incredibly secure about hearing the story from God's perspective. We know the story from our perspective. And Peter says, let's look at it from God's perspective. That's the first word when Peter introduces us. He says that we are God's elect. There is a second word that he uses to introduce us to ourselves. And that is the word exile. Exile. The word exile means staying in a strange and foreign place, residing somewhere temporarily being a resident alien look down if you're in first peter 1 to verse 17 peter says since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially live out your time as foreigners that's the same word it's the same word in greek we translate it one time exile here it's translated foreigners Live out your time as foreigners here, meaning in this world, in reverent fear. What does this mean that we are exiles? Well, again, back to our marriage analogy. Perhaps you heard Paula say that as they began to communicate or as she began to communicate to her friends and family that Eric had been pursuing her, that Eric had wanted to marry her and that she was deciding to accept that that there was some tension and some difficulty for them to accept that. In fact, if Paula was able to tell the longer version of the story, she could tell you that at the moment she decided to marry Eric and to accept Eric, 
there was some level of alienation that she felt from her family and her friends. The same is true for us as Christians. That because God chose us, when we accept His offer, we experience some level of alienation from the world around us. Remember that uh, the passage in John 15 where I showed you Jesus' perspective on how Peter became his disciple? In that same passage, John 15, Jesus goes on to say in the next few verses, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus is saying, look, when I choose you, the result is you become an exile in the world around you. You no longer fit in. That there's some sense that when you go to school, that when you're in your neighborhood, that perhaps even in your home, there is a feeling of alienation, a feeling of, look, I don't belong. There is a sense in which this is not my home. These are not my people. And the more we become like Jesus, the more alienation we feel, the more we feel like exiles. The result of this is there's a level of stress, a level of difficulty, a level of estrangement and alienation that we feel in our workplaces, perhaps in our neighborhoods, even in our own families. I received an email this week uh, from a friend who's talking about uh, her relationships with her extended family. She has one sibling, uh, uh, one sister, who's pursuing a homosexual lifestyle and other siblings who have embraced atheism. This is what she wrote in her email. I think my sisters and brothers will just always see us as being hypocritical. Every time we have a conversation with the atheists, it always comes back to a conversation about God versus no God. And it always ends with someone getting upset and relationships being torn further apart. It's only a matter of time before there is nothing left to say and the relationships will be severed completely. And every conversation with my gay sister always ends with, if you can't accept me and my life and my wife, then we don't have anything else to talk about. My friend writes, I don't like being alienated from my family. Sometimes standing up for what I believe almost doesn't seem worth it. It's easier to give in and not say anything and go along with the lies that Satan is telling me. I know that sounds bad coming from someone who is a Christian, but it feels like I have lost my family. It will always come down to choosing God or choosing my family. And it kills me to know that I could lose them over these situations. That's a difficult, difficult situation. Can you hear the pain? That's what Peter means when he says you are elect exiles. That when God chooses us, 
the result is there is a level of alienation that we feel from those around us who are not believers in Jesus. It means that at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in the country in which we live, wherever we find ourselves, there is this sense of not belonging. There is this sense of estrangement. There is this sense of feeling like an exile in your own house. Feeling like an exile in your own country, feeling like an exile in your own place of work. Now, this also means that if you're not feeling like an exile on your sports team or at school or with your non-Christian friends in your neighborhood, if there's not some level of alienation, that means something's wrong. It would be like a woman who's engaged to get married, who hangs out with all her single friends and does all the things that her single friends does and feels completely at home with her single friends and completely like their lifestyle is her lifestyle and she does everything that they're doing. Something's wrong in that situation. So it is for us as Christians. If God has chosen us and we don't feel some level of alienation some level of separation, some level of distance from non-Christians that we're around. It means we've not really embraced the God that we've claimed that we've embraced. This is how Peter introduces us to ourselves. We are elect exiles. Now you say, wow, that's, that's a bit of a downer. Honestly, it is. It's difficult. It's difficult. It's a reality. You heard that in the email. It's a very real reality that many of us here are dealing with this kind of exact situation or something similar. But it's only a downer if you focus on what's being given up instead of what you're getting. Again, back to our marriage analogy. For a woman who is going to get married, there probably will be some level of alienation she'll feel from her single friends or from her family, some level of separation. And there is something sad about that. There is something hard about that. But the reason why most engaged women are not walking around in a depressive state is because they're focusing not on what they're giving up, but what they're getting in return. That the joy of marrying this man... There is some painful level of separation from other relationships, but it doesn't begin to compare to what you're getting in return. The word exile that was used in 1 Peter 1.1 is used three times in the New Testament. The first, 1 Peter 1.1. The second, 1 Peter 1.17. We looked at both of those. The third place it's used is Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners, that's our word, foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, 
whether America or their family or their workplace or their neighborhood or their friends at school, if they were thinking of that country, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared a city for them. There are three things in this Hebrews text that Peter himself will draw on as we go through the epistle of 1 Peter. As he tells us, yes, you're elect exiles. Yes, there is a level of alienation that you feel from the world around us. But three things we need to keep in mind. One, we are not exiles by ourselves. God has given us the community of faith. We're not alone. There may be an alienation from others, but there is a community we are being called to. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one who has given up friends or family for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. What he means is relationally, anything we have to give up to follow Jesus, he will give us back in new relationships in the community of faith. Secondly, Hebrews mentions heaven. The alienation that we feel here and now, the suffering, which it really is, it's painful, it's hard, cannot begin to compare to the glory we're going to experience in the country that God is preparing for us. This world is not all there is. And third, Hebrews mentions most importantly of all, our relationship with God. Whoever is separated from the world is brought near to God. We are elect exiles. There is a painfulness associated with being chosen by Jesus. But the good news is is that what God provides far outweighs what we give up. That same friend who sent me the email that I showed you, when I read her email, I said, I think the sermon this week is for you. So I emailed her the sermon And I said, I'm praying for you that perhaps God would speak some words of comfort to you as you listen. She read the sermon and she wrote me back. And this is part of the email she wrote back. For a long time, we were dealing with this alone. But we have decided that talking about it with our Christian friends and family is helpful. And we don't have to bear the burden alone. We know God wants good for us. By experiencing this great pain, it has allowed us to experience joy in feeling the reality of God. We know that as Christians, we are not promised a life without pain or sorrow. But we are promised a heavenly father who knows our pain and longs to hold us tight and comfort us. So for now, we just rest assured in God's promises, especially in the times that we doubt him. And feel it's not worth the fight anymore. The reason Peter introduces us as elect exiles. And not exiles who have been elected. Is because first and foremost he wants us to know that God loves us. That God has chosen us. That God has pursued us. 
that we are where we are because God has come to find us. And the promise is as we go through the experiences of being exiles in this world, we will never, ever do it alone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this encouragement from your word. Lord, it's encouraging that you're honest with us. Uh, God, we would, feel, uh, we would feel betrayed and lost if suddenly, by becoming Christians, we were experiencing alienation and you never spoke to us about it. God, thank you for being honest. Jesus, you told us ahead of time that the world would hate us because it hated you. Thank you for encouraging us with the truth. Lord, but thank you that the truth is not all there is, that you have come in your grace to walk with us in the midst of this truth. And Lord, we praise you for that. Thank you for pursuing us. Lord, if it was ultimately only up to us, perhaps we would walk away. But God, you are pursuing us and you will not let us go. And we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for each person who is here today who has been... Uh, who has been experiencing feelings of alienation and estrangement. Lord, I pray for my friend who wrote this email. Lord, the situation with her family sounds so difficult and so hard and so painful. God, please be with her in a special way. Lord, for those here today who are experiencing the same thing, that potential loneliness, that feeling of estrangement, of alienation, Lord, that rejection. God, perhaps they've had to break up with a, a, a person that they're attracted to or, or a significant other, Lord, because they're not a believer. Uh, perhaps, Lord God, uh, there's a student here who's going to be going to, to school tomorrow already dreading having to, to live among non-Christians and experience that pain and rejection. Lord, perhaps there's a, a person here uh, headed back to their, their workplace. Lord God, wondering... Are they ever going to fit in? Could they ever make it through this place? Lord, right now, would you speak to them words of encouragement? Lord God, that they are not alone. That you have provided the community of faith. You've provided a a greater home for them to look forward to. And most of all, Lord, you've given us your presence. Lord, thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for asking us to marry you. Thank you, Lord God, for being the most amazing and, and wonderful groom that we could have ever imagined. Lord, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.